Accountability is God's job. But it's not solely God's job. No, it's our job too. We will be the plan. We are never going to give up. When the truth is known to the entire world, we are going to have extreme accountability. Good evening and welcome to the Stu Peters Show. So on this show, we've talked a lot about extreme accountability. We've talked about a second Nuremberg Tribunal, Nuremberg 2.0. And that's a reference, of course, to the tribunals that we held after World War II, where the leaders of the Nazi regime were put on trial and they were hanged for what they did. The lesson of the Holocaust that people often repeat is never again. And that's a good motto, actually. Yes, never again should we forcibly stick people into ghettos over their religion. Never again should we force people to undergo medical experiments like the ones committed at Auschwitz. But above all, the lesson of never again is this. We should never allow any group of people to have total control over society so that they can eradicate anyone who opposes or disagrees with them. But some people have the exact opposite attitude toward the Holocaust. To some people, the Holocaust is their excuse for why they deserve absolute power today. Because the Holocaust happened 80 years ago, they say, they get to create today's Nazism, dressed up with words like social justice or medical safety or the climate. In a nutshell, the argument goes, my grandparents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents or my great-uncle or whoever, they got killed by the Nazis in the Holocaust, so my integrity is beyond reproach. Another version of that argument is, my ancestors died in the Holocaust, so any argument that I make, no matter how deranged, is automatically valid. We saw this during the trucker protests in Canada. Some deranged left-wing member of the Canadian Parliament said the truckers were Nazis because they were honking their horns. And honk honk was code for Heil Hitler. People took her seriously. And so a few days later, dictator Justin Trudeau declared martial law. He seized truckers' bank accounts. He did mass arrests to shut the protests down. How very Nazi-like of him. But the modern-day Holocaust grift isn't just in Canada. No, it's just as strong right here in America. This, of course, is the entire racket of the Anti-Defamation League. They demand mass censorship, like the Nazis. They engage in blanket vilification of their enemies, like the Nazis. They defend and demand mass street violence under the banner of BLM. And guess what? Yes, the Nazis used riots for political ends too. But the ADL has hit on this brilliant twist to keep their extortion racket going. They just simply claim to be anti-fascist. And so they get to behave as much like fascists as they want. Biden's Gestapo chief, Merrick Garland, did just this the other day. The Biden Department of Justice has been caught targeting traditional Catholics, treating them as a group of religious subversives. So when Merrick Garland was testifying to Congress on Wednesday and was asked about that, his response was, quote, the idea that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous and absurd, unquote. In other words, my ancestors were persecuted by the Nazis, so it's impossible that I would persecute anybody else. 
This isn't an argument. No, it's a lie. It's emotional blackmail. It's using the atrocities of the past as a political weapon to justify tyranny over others in the present. It is, in fact, the exact sort of thing the Nazis themselves did. And another one of the people who does this stunt the most is Biden's Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Blinken is the architect of U.S. policy in Ukraine, where we endorsed Vladimir Zelensky purging his political enemies, censoring the press prior to the big war with Russia. Blinken loves to tell the story of his stepfather, Samuel Pisar, who survived Auschwitz and allegedly escaped a Nazi death march only to be rescued by a unit of black U.S. soldiers driving an American tank, whom he greeted with the only English language phrase that he ever knew, God bless America. It's a beautiful story, sure. But there are a lot of Holocaust stories that are actually grossly embellished by those looking to make a buck or get famous. And according to one writer, Blinken's stepdad is one of those phonies. E. Michael Jones is the founder of Culture War magazine and the author of the Holocaust narrative. And he joins us now. Uh, sir, what do you say about all of this? Well, it's yeah, it's an it's a narrative that was created basically to give groups like the ADL total power over over our culture, over what gets said on the internet and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the, this also basically, uh, total power over the Biden administration. I wrote an article at the beginning of the Biden administration, taking the, the, uh, basis from it, from a, a article. And I think the Jerusalem post where they talked about Biden's minion. That's 10 people, uh, you need to have in order to have a service at a synagogue. And I was rebuked for saying that by someone who sent me a picture of 457 Jews in the Biden administration. They, it's a pretty obvious now that Joe Biden can't get out of a press conference without tripping or falling or finding the exit. So someone else is in charge. And I'm saying it's the Biden's, it's not Biden's minion. It's those 457 Jews who came up with what is the most uh, their Biden's term, the most comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism in American history. That came out in May. The archi architect of that was uh, uh, Deborah Lipstadt, uh, who uh, created the term Holocaust denial in the early 1990s. This is a, an attempt to take total control over the government of the United States of America, including uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, which now has to come up with a comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism uh, in the agricultural uh, fields of the United States of America. It also includes the Forestry Service, which has to come up with a comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism. These people want total control of the narrative. They want total control of the government. Uh, and that's where Anthony Blinken stepped in right after that was announced. Within a week, he gives does a, uh, a video which was distributed by the World Jewish Congress in which he talked about his uh, stepfather. And he mentioned, you mentioned the story. He's in the stepfather's in the woods. Uh, you know, he hears something rumbling. There's a white star on the tank. It's an American tank. He rushes over, and then the hatch pops open. There's a black guy, and Anthony uh, Samuel Pizer says, uh, "God bless America." The only three words he knows in English. The the uh, Blinken then says he lifted uh, the black tank driver lifted my stepfather up into the tank into America and into freedom. 
Well, that's a touching story, uh, but it, it could never have happened. Never have happened. There was one all Negro tank division that was uh, in uh, Europe at that time. It was the 761st. Uh, it was never near Dachau. Now, the, the interesting thing here is this story got, got circulated 30 years ago. 30 years ago, there was a big problem in Brooklyn because uh, the the Jewish Messiah by the name of Menachem Schmiersen had a motorcade and they don't follow traffic laws. So they went through a red light and killed one child and injured another black child. That set off black Jewish rioting, uh, uh, rioting in Crown Heights. Uh, blacks were attacking Jews. Someone had to do something. And so PBS came up with the idea, we'll do a documentary uh, or called Liberators about how this black tank, uh, tank battalion liberated Dachau. Well, it's a heartwarming story, and you can see the Jews and the blacks hugging them, hugging each other over this thing. But unfortunately, it wasn't true. It's impossible. And the group that exposed it, ironically, was the American Jewish Committee. Well, that blew up back then, and everybody headed for the exit and pretended it didn't happen. And here's Blinken coming back again as if nobody learned anything from that first time around saying the same thing. Now you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you, when you mentioned this recent incident with Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland is the head of law enforcement in the United States of America. He's been called on the carpet because he's prosecuting Catholic pro-lifers and he doesn't know what to say. So when you don't know what to say in an instance like this, you say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Mm. And that ends the argument. And that's exactly the, the type of diplomacy that Blinken has been pursuing, uh, which got us into this war in the Ukraine. So I mentioned during this submersible fiasco uh, that this thing, when they were going down to look at the Titanic, that it was funded by the Rothschilds. The ADL said that that was anti-Semitic. It was factual. It is funded by the Rothschilds. Uh, I, I mentioned during a documentary called Watch the Water that there were poisonous toxins inside of the public water systems, and that was some anti-Semitic uh, trope by me, I guess, trope. Uh, why is everything anti-Semitic, and why is that so dangerous for everybody here? Well, it's dangerous because uh, that shuts down every argument, any argument. I'm trying that, to figure uh, out why that is, though. I mean, can you articulate why does that have the power to shut down an argument? I mean, if I say, well, I'm white, so you should stop arguing with me. Or if a black guy says, well, I'm black, so you have to agree with me. Why? Why? I'm a Jew, so you you need to go away and I'm going to get my way. The answer to that is the Holocaust narrative. The Holocaust gave the get, created Jewish privilege. It basically put Jew like a Jew uh, like Garland, who was supposed to enforce the law. It puts them above the law. I I, I, I could give you a lot of examples. They're in the book. Uh, and a classic example is the the Auschwitz tattoo. There's a debate uh, between uh, Bernard Nathanson. And Henry Morgenthaler of Morgenthaler over abortion. Morgenthaler is a Canadian. He was promoting using uh, he was promoting abortion clinics throughout Canada when it was illegal. The police could not touch him. Why could they not touch him? Because he rolled up his sleeves whenever the police come, and there's the Auschwitz tattoo, and that put him above the law. This Blinken's father, Pizar, said exactly the same, literally the same thing. 
He he won a game of ping pong because he's the, the the German he was playing ping pong with saw the Auschwitz tattoo. If you have relatives who died in the Holocaust, you have Jewish privilege, and if you have Jewish privilege, you're above the law. It's that simple. So you mentioned 400 and some odd people that are in Biden's cabinet that happen to be Jews. We pointed this out the other day. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of them, undeniably. I mean, so why is that? Who's infiltrating this government and what is their objective? Basically, the Jews want to control the narrative. They want to control the narrative that, which maintains uh, their privilege, uh, their privileged position in society. They they took control of the Biden administration. I think this is their this is their last chance. I think there's a reaction building uh, in the government, in the deep state, if you want to talk about that. Um, because primarily because of the war in Ukraine. That's been a Jewish project from 2014, which is when Victoria Newland, uh, who is now second in charge in the uh, State Department, orchestrated the coup d'etat that overthrew the legitimate government of the Ukraine. That was in 2014, By, yes. 2014. So now we're nine years into that, heading into 10 years into that, and the war is not going well. And so what I think we're seeing is a reaction in the deep state uh, uh, manifested by uh, a recent uh, editorial by uh, David Ignatius, uh, who is uh, writes for the Washington Post, but he's really, everybody knows he's the mouthpiece for the CIA. And what he's saying is basically that Biden cannot run for re-election. Now, you and I know that Biden doesn't do anything there without handlers telling him how to get, get on and off the stage. Okay, the 450 Jews that are in the White House control the Biden administration. So what I'm seeing here is a reaction in the deep state against this Jewish takeover of our foreign policy. I think that's what's going on right now. I think it's inevitable because they overplayed their hand. The, the, The reaction when Elon Musk jumped into the discussion about the ADL and said the ADL has been trying to destroy me. Ever since I took over Twitter, the reaction was enormous. Hashtag ban the ADL became the number one trend almost immediately. Hundreds of thousands of people suddenly coming on, expressing the resentment that they're feeling at these people who feel like they can control everything. They can shut down every narrative. They can destroy your life. Even if you're a billionaire, they can cause you to lose $22 billion of value. And this is on top of what happened to Kanye West, uh, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie Irving, and so on and so forth. So the resentment is enormous, and it's now now finally been focused into a battle between Musk and the ADL over who's allowed to control discourse. Mm. So we've got Jewish people that are making all of the calls in Ukraine. All the bodies are buried in Ukraine. Uh, we're, we're funding, though, however, a proven—this is factual— neo-Nazi group called the Azov Battalion. They know that. They know the atrocities that these people are committing there. They know the murders and the executions and the prisoners of war and the torture and the killing and the mass graves in the Donbass. I mean, this was all happening long before we got involved, but we were funding this. We were giving them weapons. So knowing that they're funding and that they're giving weapons to neo-Nazis, literal Nazis in Ukraine, um, how can they blatantly just lie to the public like this and What about the hypocrisy of, well, I'm a Jew, so everything I say cannot be argued with, and I'm going to go fund these Nazis who are committing war crimes? Well, you just said it. I mean, basically, there's no objective criterion here that can't be countermanded by someone who's going to explain it away. And so what happens is the ADL 
issued a statement saying, well, yeah, that's true about the roots of the Azov Brigade. And yeah, they do have swastikas on their shoulder uh, arms and stuff like that. But they're good Nazis. Well, wait a minute. I thought Nazi meant ipso facto bad. What what we're seeing here, what this is what happens when you allow a small group to have total control of the narrative. What that means is truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what it is. You have no objective criteria here. So, for example, if I say uh, Jews are behind gay marriage, well, that, that you're an anti-Semite for saying that. Well, what about the fact that Joe Biden said the same thing? What about the fact that Amy Dean, writing in Tacoon Magazine, said Jews were behind gay marriage? The, what you're seeing here, when you have the situation where truth is the opinion of the powerful, you've lost any ability to defend yourself because there's no such thing as truth. They get to determine what the truth is. If you're in a libel uh, suit, truth is an absolute defense. What you're seeing here is the a- abolition abolition of the truth or the replacement of the truth as the opinion of the powerful. Speak to the influence that the Jews have in our media here today. Well, uh, they control it. Uh, they control it. I mean, I've, I've gone, I've done research on this. I've written books about it. The crucial turning point came in the 1930s. At that point, uh, there's three three ethnic groups in America, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. At that point, the, the Protestants and the Catholics were disgusted at what Hollywood was producing, and they, they basically imposed the production code on Hollywood. That meant that there was a Catholic by the name of Joe Breen who basically had veto power over any film. Well, I, you know the films that were produced between 1933 and 1965. It wasn't bad stuff, you know what I mean? But the Jews didn't like it. They they wanted total control uh, over what came out. And so what they did was they played the Holocaust card. The, the, the movie that broke the production code, which meant that the Jews did not have total monopoly over what came out of Hollywood, uh, was the pawnbroker. And the pawnbroker was a Holocaust porn film. Uh, obviously not porn the way we understand it today, but basically the production code was very clear about you cannot t- have nudity on the screen. Well, the Jews used the pawnbroker, used the Holocaust to basically bring bare breasts onto the screen. The prostitute takes off her blouse in front of the pawnbroker, and that's the end of the production code. After that point, after they broke the Catholic resistance in Hollywood, they just marched through the institutions to the point where we're, where we are today, where basically the ADL is is demanding that they have total control over whatever gets said on the internet. Total control. That was the whole gist of the ni- 2019 campaign, hate, so-called hate speech campaign that the ADL orchestrated, and that's the bone of contention between Musk uh, uh, and the ADL right now. I was banned, uh, uh, along with a lot of other people in 2019. When Musk took over, I got back on Twitter. The the ADL, the Jews, have not been happy ever since that time. And they, they're, they're going to go toe-to-toe and make sure that everyone knows that they have total control of the narrative now. So hate speech, I, I think, is just a construct. I think this is a fictitious thing, just like um, you know, assault weapons. I think it's just a fictitious class of firearms. Uh, you know, and if somebody wants to say, okay, well, 
my argument is valid. Yours is not because I'm a Jew or because, you know, I had ancestors that died in the Holocaust, allegedly, whatever. Uh, let's just say, and, and, and let me be very clear, I don't agree with that sentiment at all. I think it's complete BS. Uh, but let's just superficially let that be on its face. What about this unrelenting defense of Israel? What about this Iron Dome and this constant funding of Israel, candidates going to Israel to smooch the wall, to get the blessing of, you know, uh, the, the Jewish people before they can, you know, run for office. Uh, th this, this narrative of Israel is our greatest ally. Wh where does this all come from? Who's making this decision and why? IPAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Committee, very simple. They just bought off the Congress. The, the best example to explain this is the story of Cynthia McKinney, who was a, a black woman who was elected as a representative from Georgia. She's in her office, okay? She hasn't been sworn into office. They're showing her around. She's in her office, and there's a fax machine. That's the era of fax machines. And it turns out this piece of paper, it's the IPAC pledge. You have to pledge to support Israel. Well, wait a minute. This is even before she took the oath of office. She's got to pledge support to Israel. Well, who's running the show here? Well, the answer is IPAC. The, the, the Jews have total control over the Congress. You want an example of what I'm talking about? When Benjamin Netanyahu shows up and addresses the Congress, 27 standing ovations from the most powerful men on the face of the earth. Why? Because he's the new Demosthenes because of his eloquence? No, because IPAC's there taking role. They're writing down, if you don't jump up 27 times, we will fund a candidate to put you out of office. Now, the next guy was the president of Israel, I forget his name, 30 standing ovations. All for the same reason, because IPAC's there, and if you don't jump up and look enthusiastic, we're going to run a candidate against you and run you out of office, just as we did to Cynthia McKinney. Yeah, look at the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, wearing um, an Israeli flag. I mean, this is supposed to be an America First representative. Complete hogwash, totally, absolutely. He's 100% fake and sold out to Israel. How many people are not sold out to Israel, I think, is the shorter list. But the, the, but the question is, what is the ultimate goal? What's the, what is the benchmark, benchmark of success for for Jews in America. Total control. Total control. Let's put it this way. Total control of the narrative. In other words, you will not be allowed to say anything that a Jew finds offensive. Or let me put it even more specifically, anything the ADL finds offensive. Including you don't, don't go and get a booster because you might die. That's anti-Semitic, right? There's no limit. Look, if as you mentioned in Canada, if Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler, there's no limit to this. What happened in Canada is basically a guy by the name of Bernie Farber who created this committee, a 2018 committee to end hate on the internet, Canadians against hate on the internet, something like that. He, they, they, the truckers show up. They're tired of COVID restrictions. They're losing money. This is a, an indigenous grassroots protest against a medical policy. And how do you stop it? Well, what you do is you find an anti-Semitic flyer, which is what Bernie Farber did. And then, and then they run with that. And then suddenly an entire group of people of Canadians are completely discredited because someone planted something anti-Semitic uh, near a truck. This has got to stop. Yeah. So how this do we stop it? This has got to stop. How do we stop it? I think what I said before is that there are powers at work now within the deep state that realize this has gone too far. This is not the first time this has happened. After World War II, 
the sec the Jewish Secretary of State Henry Morgenthau imposed a plan to punish Germany. Okay, which means deindustrialize, and he knew that meant Germans were going to starve to death, and he was willing to do that. The, ni- the year 1946-47 is known as Das Hungerjahr in German history, even in German textbooks. Okay, at this point, the uh, the equivalent of the the WASP elite. Uh, in the Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt administration realized, look, if this guy has his way, the Germans are going to welcome the Soviet army with open arms. And we don't want that to happen. Germany has to become a bulwark against the Soviet Union. And so people like Pat, Patton was, I think Patton was murdered because he was going to do this. Stimson, uh, Her- Herbert Hoover, the for- former president, all said, look, this is Semitic vengeance. The United States has no business promoting Semitic vengeance against the German people. Get rid of this plan. And they did. And they brought in the Marshall Plan instead. I think we're in exactly that moment, a turning a turning point right now, largely because of that David Ignatius uh, editorial. There's a segment of the CIA. There's a segment of the military, I think, represented by people like Colonel McGregor, who think this is going south. McGregor is another wasp. He went to Penn Charter in Philadelphia, the classic wasp high school where I went to high school, at a Catholic high school. Those people are not happy. And I think they are forcing the issue by saying Biden's got to go. So uh, with the Jewish influence in our military, in our cabinet, in our Congress, in the Senate, in the executive branch, uh, everywhere that you look on the Internet, uh, why should people care? There's a group of people that'll just say, well, I don't care if the Jews want to run everything. That's fine. Why should we, why should we care? No, ask, uh, ask Elon Musk. Ask Kanye West. Do you, you don't care if there's a group of people simply by labeling you as an anti-Semite or a white supremacist can destroy your ability to earn a living, can get you exp- uh, fired from your job, you don't care about that? Well, then I think you, are you smoking dope? Are, are you shooting up heroin? Who does not care about that? That's an existential threat to every single person in the United States of America. If you don't toe the line, we will ruin you. No one should have that power. What we need is to reassert government control. What do I mean by that? I mean, First Amendment should be the rule for the Internet. It's a it's a utility. It's not some private possession. That means if it's not illegal, according to the Constitution of the United States, it should be permitted on the Internet. That means no more terror based on hate speech or anti-Semitism or white supremacy or any other of these fictions that they create to basically destroy you. It's the Patriot 2.0 is what this is, with Biden saying that he's going to combat anti-Semitism because that's combating terrorism. You're a terrorist. You could be classified a terrorist or an enemy combatant if you speak against anybody who's of Jewish descent. And by the way, most of these people, including George Soros, who just mentioning his name on television like we are just now, uh, could be considered to be anti-Semitic. He's not even a practicing Jew. It's all a ruse. It's all a farce. I agree with you 100%. It's all uh, the uh, quest for power and control. And it is extremely dangerous. It's an existential threat to freedom in America. Uh, E. Michael Jones, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. God bless you, sir. You're welcome.